Colleagues, welcome back to the office. It's Steve and welcome to the CPE Today podcast. We're going to get started with our podcast presentation here just in a moment. But before we do, I'd like to share some insight on how you can receive credit for watching today's presentation. There are two options. You can either watch live as it's being recorded through Zoom, more on that here in a moment, or you could be watching or listening on demand wherever you happen to receive content. We distribute our show through YouTube, SoundCloud, Facebook, our website, and many other places. Now, if you happen to be watching on demand on your own schedule. After watching or listening to today's class, head on over to cpetoday.com and locate today's course page. Uh, you can find our course code by looking at the footer of the presentation to see the link presented there, and it will also be mentioned throughout the presentation on multiple occasions. After Purchasing today's class, you'll complete a short five-question quiz on what was discussed in today's presentation. And upon passing that, your certificate for your CPE credits will be automatically generated and available for download. In addition to your purchase, you can also download copies of today's presentation, learning materials. You can ask the presenter questions and more. Now, if you happen to be watching live as it's being recorded through Zoom, your attendance will be confirmed through attendance prompts, which will occur every 12 to 20 minutes and approximately four per hour. They'll pop up automatically. And when a prompt comes up, please choose a response to confirm your attendance. It doesn't actually matter what you choose as long as you choose something as your response will confirm your engagement with our presentation. Attendance prompts might not be announced, so please keep an eye out for them. Now, as long as you've com uh, completed at least 75% of the attendance prompts, you will receive full credit for our presentation. Your completion certificate will be delivered to you by email within two business days of the event. You can always visit cpetoday.com if you have any questions or issues with your certificate. After our presentation today, we'd love to know what you think. Uh, there will be a course evaluation that will automatically pop up. It should take you anywhere from one to three minutes to complete, and your feedback will be used to help us produce better content in the future. Now, if you have any questions or comments throughout the presentation, we'd love to know what they are. Please use the chat or the Q&A functionality to let us know what you think, or if you have any questions on the materials that are being presented. Also, please feel free to share your experience, knowledge, and insight with the class. If you have any technical issues, you can also use that functionality to ask for help. You can always find great content at cpetoday.com. We have a variety of self-study and live courses from all topics, accounting, audit, personal development, Excel, QuickBooks, and more, you name it. Check out cpetoday.com. And the CPE Today podcast is made available Tuesdays and Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific. And you can always find great content being discussed in that podcast every single week. If you happen to be a new user, listener, viewer of the CPE Today podcast, thank you so much for coming. Welcome. We're ecstatic and happy to have you. How about you get a free credit on us? Use coupon code ONEFREEPODCAST at checkout to get a free credit for today's class. We're going to go ahead and get started with our presentation here in the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here and enjoy our presentation. Good morning, colleagues. Welcome to today's class. My name is Steve Yas. Thank you so much for being here with us today. We're going to get started here with K2, securing your data and for practical tools for protecting your information. But before we do, I just want to make sure that you are connected. You can hear me and you can see the screen. If so, if you wouldn't mind opening up that chat bot, 
shoot me a message. Let me know that you are connected and that you are good to go. All right. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Nancy, Travis, James, William, Paul, Kay, Andrew, Christine, Laura. Good morning to you all. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy lives for being here and coming to learn about how we can improve our safety of our organizational data and our personal data and hopefully how we can overall improve our compliance and reduce our risk and, you know, maybe learn a bunch of new things in between. Well, Today's class is going to be focused on security and trying to give you as much practical information as I possibly can with respect to things that I know can help reduce your risk with respect to uh, data breaches, improve overall compliance with respect to uh, major compliance frameworks, for example, with CCPA or with uh, GDPR and other things like that, as well as uh, hopefully give you some best practices that you can share with your colleagues, your family members, and other people to help um, make them safer online. Uh, the reality is in 2021, uh, data breaches and identity theft and all the nasty stuff that really is kind of out there is a fact of life. And really, uh, it's up to us to take a very proactive approach to prevent it from happening. You know, it's this unfortunate circumstance that, you know, I wish it was different, but that's the reality of the world that we live in. And it's really on each individual person to take care of it for their personal life, as well as um, the company to ensure that everybody on their team is a strong link. You know, for organizations, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Um, and understanding where and how certain um, data breaches have occurred and, and how certain attacks could occur, for example, with ransomware, malware, stuff like that, uh, could be very helpful in terms of promoting overall security. So today we are going to be looking at a bunch of different uh, aspects of security, trying to give you as much practical advice as we can. We're going to start off with taking a look at some attacks uh, recently. So we'll look at some of the hacks and data breaches that have occurred relevant to financial professionals, including uh, firms getting a breached and attacked, as well as uh, maybe some software vendors as well. We'll talk about Intuit's recent credential stuffing attack, where they themselves did not experience a data breach, uh, but rather they're guilty of having poor systems design and allowing their customers to use insecure passwords. We're going to talk about specific types of attacks. Uh, we're going to talk, for example, about ransomware, about malware, what it is, how it functions, what we need to know to protect ourselves and our organizations. Lots of best practices in around there. We'll talk about inside of those best practices, uh, things like the characteristics of good passwords, long and strong passwords. Uh, often there are only line of defense. Uh, so how can we maximize our potential uh, safety with using good passwords for our systems? We'll also talk about some additional kind of more advanced security topics, including uh, data loss prevention, which is a security technique that can be really effective with preventing uh, any sort of data leaving your systems. In fact, if you're an Office 365 subscriber, it's built right into the tool uh, for you to be able to use. We'll finish with my five common sense tips for security and improving compliance um, for your organization. Uh, these are going to be things such as controlling access to data, restricting rights on your computers to only people that work for your organization, only giving them the rights that are necessary, encryption, and more. 
Now, this is just our starting off point. We can take the presentation any number of directions, and I'd love to do that. If you wouldn't mind, open up that chat box, shoot me a message, let me know what you're interested in learning today, and I'd be happy to do my best to include it in our presentation. So let me know what you're thinking about and what you'd like to see covered in today's class. Now, for those of you who have not had a class with me before, my name is Steve Yoss. I am a K2 instructor. I've been with K2 about five years now, and I tend to focus on teaching on our security classes and uh, anything really kind of involving software development and uh, accounting systems as well. Uh, my time is split evenly between teaching events like this for wonderful folks like yourself, and the other half of my time is split uh, with my business, which is Devmatics, a software development company uh, based here in Los Angeles, California, but we work all over the uh, world. We build all sorts of cool stuff. Um, you know, we tend to solve business problems with technology and, uh, you know, helping people find new ways to utilize technology in their organization. So we build mobile apps, enterprise solutions, and, you know, uh, inventory solutions, and really kind of every, everything in between. So if you ever have any questions regarding uh, software or anything like that, more than happy to speak with you, more than happy to point you at least in the right direction. Now, something new in the K2 universe, K2 launched a podcast earlier this year. It's called the CPE Today Podcast. Uh, podcast is broadcast twice a week. Uh, on Monday, I'm sorry, on Tuesdays and Fridays at 11 a.m. And the podcast focuses on accounting technology and business. It's giving financial professionals all the information they need to know to be relevant and up to date with their career. Uh, we discuss reviews of software applications. We talk about in-depth on training topics, including Excel, Power BI, and more. Lots of tutorials and walkthroughs. And often in the podcast, we're able to go much further in-depth on topics than we can get inside of a class. You know, for a class, for the most part, we try to cover a lot to give you as much information as possible. But uh, podcasts will go really in-depth on particular topics. You can listen for free on the platform of your choosing, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Uh, you can even watch live on YouTube and Facebook for free, Tuesdays and Fridays at 11 a.m. So if you like accounting technology and like take K2 courses, by all means, please feel free to check it out. Okay, a couple of quick housekeeping announcements, then we're going to go ahead and get into our class for today. Um, this is a NASBA qualified webinar. As such, there will be attendance prompts to confirm your engagement with the presentation. They're going to come about every 12 to 20 minutes or so, so please be on the lookout for them. When the response comes up, please go ahead and choose a response to confirm your attendance. Let's go ahead and do a sample one right now just to ensure you know what you're looking for. So you should see a pop-up on your side letting you know that uh, there is a polling question. Now, a couple things with respect to these polling questions. Um, when they come up, select a response. It doesn't matter what response you actually choose. Just choose something. Uh, doesn't matter what. This confirms your attendance, lets us know that you're here, and that ensures that you will get your full credit for today's class. Uh, two things I'll let you know. Uh, the questions that we're going to ask will be related to the course and content. However, I'm not going to be pacing necessarily the questions with the course content itself. Uh, unfortunately, there's too many questions and in order to be able to get through the presentation, it's really difficult to be able to try to time them correctly in order to be able to get the number of responses. Um, so please just go ahead and choose something. If it's something we haven't covered up to this point, don't feel too bad about it. 
Additionally, I will not be announcing when those prompts come up. Again, it's not that I don't want uh, uh, to let you know when they're coming. It's just there's so much material to get through and it can be quite uh, disruptive to change uh, topics every couple of minutes. So please uh, keep an eye out for them. I'm going to keep those polling questions up as long as I possibly can. So they will be up for several minutes between. So don't feel like you need to do it in the first 10 seconds. They'll be up for several minutes. Okay. So I could see that 35 out of 37 people have responded to those polling questions. So you might want to, uh, if you haven't responded yet, uh, to consider go ahead and uh, and doing so. Okay. Now, with respect to your certificate for completion today, as long as you've completed 75% of your polling questions, you will receive full credit for today's class. Uh, K2 will be issuing your uh, CPE certificate. It could also be your state society, depending on which society you're coming from. Uh, no matter what, it's going to come through email. So keep an eye out for that. If you have any issues with your certificate, by all means, please feel free to reach out to K2. Uh, they'd be more than happy to help. After our webinar today, there will be a brief evaluation. We'd love to know what you think about today's course and content. It's very helpful with respect to uh, creating future courses as well as understanding what people like and maybe what can be improved upon. It takes two minutes. I'll talk more about it at the end of our presentation today, but we'd love your feedback and thoughts. I read every one of them as well as the folks at K2 and, and your local state society as well. Please stay engaged with our presentation for today. If you have any questions, by all means, please feel free to let me know. Um, I'm more than happy to explain things more than once, show another example. Um, you know, if you need something specific for your organization, hey, how do I do this for a marketing company? Hey, what would this look like for a manufacturing firm or something like that? Just tell me what you need and I'll be sure to try to include it in our presentation. If you have any experience with any of the things that we're going to discuss too, or something has happened to you as we're talking through some of these uh, uh, attack types, by all means, please feel free to share your experience. I could see your chat messages here in real time and uh, I'd be happy to include that into our presentation. And if there's anything I can do for you to help improve your day, by all means, please feel free to let me know. I'm more than happy to do so. Okay, last announcement with respect to our schedule for today. This is a four-hour webinar. Uh, we are going to take a single break right in the middle of our, of our uh, webinar for today. Uh, it'll be at 10 a.m. Central. It'll be a 20-minute break. And then our class will conclude today at uh, 12 p.m. Central Time. So mark your clocks accordingly. Uh, we'll be taking a break in about an hour and a half or so, and then um, <clears throat> and then we will take our uh, uh, we will end this class promptly at 12 p.m. So let's take a look at some of the things that people have requested for our class for today. Okay, Nancy writes in, sharing documents and data securely with clients. Absolutely, we can talk about that. And that's a great topic to consider for your organization. So many firms run into issues due to poor sharing uh, etiquette. You know, they will share something, for example, on Dropbox, and they share it forever. They don't actually unshare the document. And then they leave this public URL out that works, you know, two, three years down the road. Um, so yeah, we can talk a little bit about portals and, and some best practices with it, but just to give you a sneak peek here, I would say the best practice I could possibly tell you is if you're going to share something, put an expiration date on it, put it behind a password of some sort, just don't publicly list something. Um, and if you can use a client portal because it'll manage all of that for you. In fact, my favorite client portal for client, uh, and firm operations is called Lisco L I S C I O check it out. It's a really cool solution. 
Andrew writes in, I'd love to hear more about ransomware today. Absolutely. Uh, hopefully this will be the only time you hear about ransomware and you're not hearing about it any other time uh, because, man, is it really pervasive and nasty these days. But hopefully you'll leave here with enough knowledge that uh, you'll at least be able to identify it and prevent it from happening to you. Glenn writes in, computer security to prevent entry by bad guys. Ooh, there's bad hombres out there and certainly whatever we can do to reduce our risk and exposure. Uh, Jeffrey writes in, I'm an Intuit Pro Series client. Help keep me safe. Absolutely, Jeffrey, whatever I can do for you, I'm more than happy to do so. All righty, folks. Well, thank you. And as your questions come in, uh, please, by all means, feel free to chat them over. Um, Please use a chat pod over the Q&A pod if possible. I'll see both, but the uh, chat pod's a little bit easier for me to respond. And, and if you have any questions, by all means, let me know. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into our presentation for today. So we're going to get started with discussing some examples of recent hacks and attacks. I find that one of the best ways to learn about security is to look at examples of organizations that unfortunately had something nasty happen to them. Uh, if we could see, for example, what occurred, we'll see practical examples of what to avoid. Uh, and there's been several instances and attacks recently that have been the main vector has been through email. Uh, in fact, if I were to say for your organization, uh, your probably biggest attack risk vector in terms of where that could come in would be through email, um, email, social media, really kind of anything with a link or anything that can have some sort of attachment. And a good example to start with here is Deloitte, you know, part of the final four, uh, the large accounting firm, you know, if uh, they can get attacked, man, what does that mean for us and our organizations? Well, Deloitte's email attack, this occurred in late 2016. Deloitte mail servers, which were hosted, by the way, on Microsoft Azure platform were believed to be penetrated by outsiders. So this happened in, in late 2016. In March of 2017, Deloitte discovered the attack and began an investigation. Okay. And then later that year, they came uh, public with this, with it being reported in The Guardian, The Wall Street Journal, as well as many online outlets. And Deloitte says that data from only six clients was compromised. Although what I will point out with respect to a data breach, it's always impossible to know exactly for sure what 100% happened. Um, you know, often with a data breach, one of the most uh, common things that the bad guys will do first is that they take out any of the security procedures and policies that might be in place to be able to allow them to steal whatever data is necessary. And then the next step is they delete the logs. Uh, computers generate these log files that constantly tell you what they're doing, how they're doing it, and uh, what's going on inside that machine. And if you can delete the log files, you essentially have a really good way of being able to uh, cover your tracks, you know? And so that will often be the case because they don't want you to know what they stole and what they didn't take. Every computer has this, including Windows, Linux, and everything else around this. And in fact, if you've got a Windows machine, if you just go to your start menu and you type in the words event viewer, you can see the logs that have occurred inside of your computer itself. And this is not only a great way to be able to debug what's going on in your computer, uh, but it can be very, very useful with respect to understanding where security risks might be, as well as uh, when people logged in or logged out. Let's take a quick look on my virtual machine here. So this is event viewer here, and you could see 
there are several different types of logs that are present. We've got application logs, we've got security logs, so on and so forth. And we'll see here that the computer itself is pretty much doing an audit every couple of seconds uh, to ensure that uh, you know it is still maintaining integrity. And in fact, if we come over here, we could see the actual logins and logs out of the individual users. And what these bad guys will have to do, they'll delete these logs so that you don't actually know what was taken and what was not taken. And that's usually one of the most common techniques that will pop up. Best practices tell us that we should always maintain these logs not only on our machine, uh, but also separately too. That's not something you need to necessarily do for your individual computer, uh, but for servers, that's always a best practice. So Deloitte gets compromised. People come in, they, uh, they steal data, but from six, but it could have been more. Now, how did this attack happen? I mean, last time I checked, Deloitte's a pretty big organization. You know, don't they have IT staff? Well, the reality is they probably have hundreds, if not thousands of people inside of their organization that are solely focused on security. And what this tells us is that just being big doesn't mean that you're always doing things the correct way. And just because you're big doesn't mean that you follow best practices. Well, in this particular instance, the hacker compromised the firm's global email server through an administrator account that in theory gave them access to pretty much everything else inside the system. It gave them privileged, unrestricted access to all areas. Okay. Now administrator accounts by their very nature are a necessity for IT administrators to be able to, you know, design and implement the policies of the company as well as maintaining applications, data, and other stuff like that. You know, there are people in your life that have to have a level of privileged access in order to be able to do their jobs. However, those accounts should be A, few and far between, okay? B, really, 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 really secure. And C, uh, they should also whenever possible, be audited in case uh, uh, bad stuff happens, you have specific logs of what and when that person operated. So in terms of having access, you should restrict administrator access to your systems as much as possible. Uh, only people who are actual IT administrators should have admin accounts. Let me back up for a second. Inside of a computer, there are only two types of accounts. There are admin accounts and there's everything else. Administrator accounts have a lot of safety features disabled due to the nature of their job. This allows them to install software, update software, delete software, so on and so forth. You should not use that level of access. In fact, most of the time, if you're not an administrator on your computer, but rather just a normal user, most malicious code will not run on that machine. In fact, for myself, I actually have two different accounts on my computer. I have an admin account and I have a normal user account. Nine times out of 10, I'm just using that admin, I'm using just using the local user account to do my day-to-day -day business. Uh, the benefit of that being is that uh, in the event that my computer actually gets infected with, uh, or I download something, you know, that could potentially infect my computer with malware, uh, it should hopefully help reduce my risk and exposure because that malware should hopefully only be able to infect that computer if it's logged in as an administrator. So one of the quick things that I can tell you with respect is don't use an administrator account. You go buy a computer, you know, you might need an admin account to get everything configured, create yourself a second account uh, and just use that one, the non-administrator account for your day-to-day -day operations. That's a great way to uh, save um, some risk and exposure. So that's a good technique. The next thing that they could have done and they should have done, and it's incredible that they didn't do, is 
two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication or one-time passwords. Any account at a server level that is an administrator account should absolutely 100% utilize two-factor authentication as a basic component of security. I'm actually going to step back here and say all accounts, whenever possible, should utilize two-factor authentication. We'll talk more about that a little bit later on. But if this company had required this account to have two-factor authentication, even though the administrator account was compromised and the password was stolen, um, it would not have resulted in a data breach. Um, the person who put that password in would have only gotten to the secondary login screen, which then would have required them to put a code in, either sent to them by a text message or uh, that was generated by that person's phone. Well, so two-factor authentication. That's another really good technique that you can use to help reduce your overall risk and exposure. Now, by not following these best practices, this resulted in the emails of 244 staff that were stored in the Azure cloud uh, to be compromised. In addition to the email, the Guardian, which reported upon this, understands that the hackers have potential access to usernames, passwords, IP addresses, architectural diagrams for businesses uh, that were doing work with um, that were doing work with Deloitte. So even though I want to also point out here that uh, even though they were hosted in the cloud, and even though Microsoft's name's associated with this, this was not Microsoft's screw up. Um, this is Deloitte's screw up. They were just using cloud infrastructure provided by Microsoft, and it wouldn't matter if it were hosted in Amazon or if Deloitte had their own data center, it would have been the exact same result. So let's take a look at another it's security incident. Okay, this happened in... Uh, August of 2017, and this is a California CPA firm that experienced a data breach. So, firm, which we've redacted here to protect the innocent, um, <coughs> this firm was based in Northern California, and the firm experienced unusual activity while filing tax returns on extension. Okay, I really don't know what it would qualify as unusual activity, but I kind of want to. I kind of want to know what they what they meant. You know, I mean, that's some like, uh, you know, uh, Stranger Things type stuff. You start feeling your spidey sense going off. You know, most folks don't even know when a data breach occurs. If we look at the facts and statistics, almost exclusively, data breaches are reported outside of the company that's experienced the breach itself. So I'd love to know what kind of unusual activity they were experiencing. Well, kudos to them. They hired a forensic IT firm to investigate, and they discovered the following. There was unauthorized access from the firm's systems from a foreign IP address on a specific date and time. Okay, That doesn't always necessarily mean that, uh, you, exp that you experience a data breach, although it certainly isn't great either. Uh, so they had some sort of access on their computer networks outside of the United States of America. Okay, the hackers might, keyword here is might. Again, it's always hard to know exactly when and where certain activities occurred. So we can only infer it. They might have been able to access tax if, uh, information that was going to be filed on behalf of the clients. This would include things such as names, dates of birth, phone numbers, addresses, social security information, 1099 information, driver's license detail, and bank accounts. The firm said its own partners and employees may also been exposed. Okay, man, that that's never fun. You know, as as much as a data breach can be 
terrible for an organization, you know, it's usually never over either. I mean, you know, the second you make it public, then your phones start ringing off the hook and you got to start answering questions from people asking like, Hey, you know, was my data exposed? And you might not have a good answer for them. Well, there are things that could have been done to help prevent this from occurring from that company. Um, and certainly there would have been, um, preventative actions that the firm should have employed ahead of time to ensure that they reduce their risk and exposure. Well, unfortunately, they didn't do those best practices. Maybe it was something like not employing two-factor authentication. It might have been not using anti-malware on their machines. It could have been not doing security uh, training with their staff, teaching them what to click on and what not to click on in an email. Who knows? But the result of this was that the firm had to reach out to all their clients to recommend them to change their bank account numbers, as well as to set up fraud alerts with the main credit reporting agencies, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. Uh, they recommended that you put credit freezes on their accounts, as well as maybe even file a complaint with the Federal Trade Commission and local law enforcement in the event of a uh, data breach and identity theft. So, you know, a couple of things that we can unpack here that I think I want to share with you that uh, can be maybe helpful to understand with respect to how data breaches occur. And then I also want to talk a little bit about credit freezes as well and, and why those might be very, very useful. Now, with respect to data breaches, they are a fact of life these days. And unfortunately, you know, that's the world that we live in, that people want to steal data. Uh, with a data breach, you know, a lot of people will ask, well, what do I have, you know, that people might want? Well, think about what your business does. I mean, if you're a manufacturing company, it's probably stealing intellectual property. If you are a CPA firm, it's going to be stealing client data. If you are an e-commerce business, it's going to be stealing um, credit card information, you know? Um, every company has data that is valuable, if not directly to them, to their customers. And so it's important that we safeguard that data as best we can because it can certainly be compromised and stolen by other people and then exploited uh, against them at some point in the future. So let's go ahead and take a look at a, a pretty interesting website here called Shodan, which is one of my absolute favorites um, to discuss. Shodan is a search engine for connected devices. You know, if you think of, for example, search engines in general, Okay, we have, for example, Google, which is a knowledge-based search engine. It's a search engine that we could use to go and find out just about anything about anything. So if I wanted to find, for example, uh, information about uh, you know, a certain business or company, Google is nine times out of ten what I'm going to be using to find that out. You know, if I want to find out information about a person, I go to social media. LinkedIn is fantastic for doing some reconnaissance on, you know, a colleague or a potential competitor or, or something else. Um, if I want to find information about, uh, you know, maybe a great restaurant, I'd use Yelp. Well, there's different search engines for different things. And one of which is this website called Shodan, which is a search engine for Internet of Things devices. It's a way that we can discover things across the internet connected to the internet and it takes a snapshot of the internet periodically and will tell you things about ip addresses and networks and businesses that you can search for let me give you an example of this let's say i wanted to go and i wanted to look up organizations that have uh, remote access uh, to their computers enabled 
Okay, there's this uh, technique. It is uh, called remote desktop protocol, sometimes referred to as uh, remote desktop connection. If you just come over to your start menu and type in remote desktop connection, you'll see this little guy pop up here. And this is a tool that you can use to remotely connect to a computer. RDC, RDP in and of itself, a really good tool. It's a great way to provide remote access to the internet, uh, to your office computer or your home computer. However, if it's not properly set up, if it's not properly secured, it can cause huge issues for you. And in fact, it, in my opinion, it can be a big uh, magnet for malware. Well, this uses a connection port called 3389. And in fact, if we search for port 3389, we can actually, oops, let's log in real quick. We can actually go and see if there are computers that have port 3389 open. And in fact, if we go do a search over here, we will find that in fact, there are several million, 3.7 million computers that currently have port 3389 open. Meaning I could use this IP address, plug it into this tool and potentially connect to them. You know, likewise, I can come over here and maybe search for a specific operating system version like Windows Server 2003. Okay, well, with this, we can actually see that computers that have remote desktop open and are running server software that's almost two decades old. Let me just ask the audience here and feel free to leave me a comment. Do you think that server secure server software that was released by Microsoft nearly two decades ago is still secure? Well, my opinion, probably not. And in fact, we could see that there are over 1300 computers that have remote desktop enabled that are running Windows Server 2003. And we can actually see that the, of the ones listed here, over 200 of them are located here in the United States. And you can continue to drill down going city by city if necessary, although you know it doesn't matter where that server is located. What this allows us to be able to do, though, is to see what server is there as well as uh, the connection for that. You know, And then additionally, what you should know with servers, we always know what version of what software they are running, you know, and there's a lot of things that you could potentially be doing here that could be putting your your organization at risk. Let me give you a couple of examples. Port 21, that's for file transfer. 3306 is for MySQL database transfer. 3389 is for uh, remote desktop protocol. And this is for uh, server administration port 8080. I just know these things off the top of my head. And if I continue to roll down here, I can actually see the individual versions of things. You know, I could see, for example, they're running MySQL 5.1 when I know the latest version is 8.0. Well, that can put you significantly at risk. Now, if we look on the left-hand side here, this site is also scanning for vulnerabilities, and we can see what potential vulnerabilities a website or a web server or a database server might have. All computers do this. You know, if I know, for example, you're running Windows Server 2003, well, I know that that went out of support for Microsoft in like 2010. Well, there's several techniques that have been discovered that can be used to compromise that box. You know, and in fact, they're listed over here. We call these CVEs. And so if we scroll down on the left, there are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of different CVEs that could be used to potentially exploit this server, you know? And I know some of this might seem like Greek to you. The takeaway that you should get at is the following, okay? First and foremost, if you did one security thing for your company, and only one thing, it would be to keep your devices up to date. If we look at data breaches, if we look at security instances that occur, Almost exclusively, it's due to out-of-date software.
Now, there are certain examples and there are certain um, data breaches that have occurred, which we call zero-day attacks, which are very sophisticated and very infrequent um, and very large scale, you know, where essentially there's some sort of main vulnerability in an application that is previously unknown and then we all find out at the same time. But most of the time, Microsoft or Adobe or whoever's making your applications, they know where these vulnerabilities are. They get reported privately and they fix the issue before it becomes public. And so if we look at malware, almost exclusively, it's from old software and it's from vulnerabilities that have been discovered long after that application is no longer being supported. In fact, we can see here the CVE was released in 2010, 2014, 2012. If we look at the Equifax data breach, which occurred in 2017, same thing, you know, uh, in a nutshell, what happened there, there was a security uh, incident that um, Apache, which is the company that made the application that was ultimately due to the uh, Equifax getting, uh, getting uh, breached. They figured out there was an issue. They told everybody there was an issue. They even reached out to Equifax, Experian and others to let them know there's an issue. Uh, and they fail to update, you know, so sometimes just updating and then a lot of times just updating will reduce your risk and exposure significantly to the point that if a vulnerability is discovered, you're no longer um, at risk for that, you know, but whoever owns this box, I mean, there's a lot of exposure here. You know, most of these protocols are unsecure. They're not really requiring uh, any sort of additional security. Now, I can't, I'm not going to do this. I could actually connect to this. And this is how these bad guys would figure it out. They connect to your IP address for your organization. They find out using tools like this. They're going to scan through here. They're going to look and see, oh, look, they haven't patched this one vulnerability in 2012. They'll use that, ter that uh, vulnerability, and that's how they're going to be able to compromise to get into the box. Uh, so that is a pretty common technique. And the other thing you should know, I mean, the Internet's a two-way street. I mean, if I have access, they have access. If I can see them, they can see me. You know, this server doesn't have a firewall in front of it. There's no network address translation or a NAT server. They're not following best practices by any stretch of the imagination. And, I mean, ultimately, if there's any sort of custom or proprietary or sensitive data on this server – it's going to get exploited. And unfortunately, the people who have data on here, and it could be a company that you know, it could be a, a business on Main Street here. Okay, well, you know, even though you've done everything right, your data could be stolen and compromised because the company that you were doing business with didn't do everything right. Now, the takeaway is keep your devices up to date, use firewalls, use other network intrusion detection systems, and Please do not use insecure protocols. Instead of file transfer protocol, we use SSH. Instead of unsecured database access, we use secure database access. Instead of having 3389 open for remote desktop and letting people just basically use this tool, we use a VPN. You know That is best practices and that's what you should be following. Now, the other piece of this is that firm recommended to its clients that they should freeze their credit. Okay. Well, if you go ahead and you Google really kind of any of the uh, main ones, let's go ahead and take a look at experience. Okay. You can come over here to experience website, experience.com freeze. You can freeze your credit. And this is something I would recommend that you do just right now. Okay. Um, 
legislation changed in 2018 that made credit freezes and fraud alerts 100% free. And so Experian, TransUnion, Equifax, they do this service now for free uh, where you can either notify them that a fraud alert occurred or you can put a freeze on your account. Okay, now what a freeze is designed to do, it's designed to prevent credits, loans, services being approved in your name without your consent. And if you freeze your credit, nobody can pull your credit report. Uh, nobody can modify your credit report without your consent to do so. It's, a, it's like a firewall on your credit. Okay, so you have to do this on each of the credit reporting bureaus. So you go to Experian, TransUnion, Equifax, each one of them, and go to their particular section and you can go ahead and freeze this. So we can go ahead and freeze, like for example, our credit file here. There's gonna be some questions they're gonna ask us and it all can be done online and it will all just uh, work for you. In the event you do a refi, you apply for a new credit, you're gonna to have to unfreeze your credit for it. But if you freeze your credit, nobody can adjust your credit score. Now I wanna point out this does not affect current people who have access to your credit from being able to utilize your credit. So it's not going to affect, for example, you know, um, American Express or, or Citibank from being able to use your credit. It's not going to affect that at all. But it would affect, you know, some person that somehow got hold of your social security number from opening a new line of credit in your name. It will not work. If they try to pull your credit report or issue a credit card, it's, it's going to block it right away. There is zero reason not to do this right now. It is free. It is a massive improvement overall with respecting your financial information. And it's easy to do, you know, and you can, you can have 100% control over this. You know, I did a refi last year. Um, you know, when I was talking to the mortgage broker who was uh, doing the refi, he said, oh, you know, you know, if you're using uh, a credit freezing thing, please just go ahead and uh, unfreeze it. We use Equifax, you know, so I went to Equifax, unfroze it for a couple of days. They grabbed the report and then I froze it again. But this can be very, very, very effective with respect to reducing your overall risk and exposure. Now, a question usually pops up with respect to these data breaches. Um, are companies that experience these data breaches financially on the hook for those affected parties? And what I will tell you is that it varies widely state to state. In the United States, um, data breach notification and liability laws vary uh, state to state. You know, what is legal and required in the state of California is going to be different than in Indiana or New York or other places like that. Um and it also depends on, on also with respect to what type of data was stolen and by, um, and if you're subject to any sort of compliance regulations. You know, for example, California, we've got what's called CCPA, the California Consumer Protection Act. Uh, if you're in Europe, for example, you have what's called GDPR, General Data Protection Regulations. Well, yeah, those put some teeth into what's required, but that varies widely. Um, so I can't tell you a hundred percent for sure that you would be financially liable for this. Although best practices dictate at a minimum, you would provide 90 day fraud alerts and, um, provide some sort of assurance to those and restitution of those people. If, and when they, uh, they actually have their data stolen. Okay. Now, another big issue that we need to be aware of that's continuing to be pervasive is phishing. Phishing is just all over the place. It's not going to go away anytime soon. And so and another example of a hack, this occurred in June of 2017. There was an email circulating that was requesting the validation of your login credentials to add new security me measures. 
and this is from a software a software company to its uh, users, you know. And unfortunately, many people actually clicked on the email thinking they were logging into a the software provider, but in reality, they were logging into a malicious website, and then they were uh, providing login details that ultimately caused a data breach for that particular firm data. Okay. The takeaway from this is don't trust anything inside of email. Everything about email, everything about text messages and phone calls can be uh, spoofed. Uh, spoofing is the process of sending an email, making it look like it was coming from somewhere else. And you could spoof any email, you could spoof any text messages, you can go ahead and spoof, for example, any phone calls. Uh, I can make caller ID, for example, look like anything from anybody on my phone. It's because these services are self-signing. They provide their own authentication and they provide their own data um, that tells you who they are so that you can you know, see that. Caller ID is sent with the call itself. Text message ID is sent with the text. Likewise, email is sent. There, there's this header notification stuff that'll pop up there that'll tell you exactly where that message uh, came from. So, I mean, you can just do a simple search, for example, um, for SMS spoof or phone spoof that uh, you can use, you know, for, for example, to prank your friends to make it look like you are uh, calling from just about anybody, you know. And there are plenty of services that just offer this as a thing that you can just go on the website and do and, and try. So there are, uh, let me go ahead and bring up, let me see if I can show you a couple of examples of this. Let's go ahead and take a look at just uh, one here. If you just go, go go ahead and Google email spoof, you can find it yourself. You know, this is a tool, a free online fake emailer. So you put what you would want it to come from, who you'd like it to come from, email, who you'd like it to go, whether or not there's attachments, and this will go ahead and send that email out. Um, and it'll look like exactly whoever it came from, you know? So it's a pretty simple and easy process to be able to do. So... Don't trust it. I mean, there are additional services right now. There's an email service called DKIM that authenticates um, that authenticates a, a user's domain. Actually, that email came from there. There's another one called uh, Spiff Sender Protection Framework. Um, there is DSEC, DNSSEC, which uh, authenticates the the domain name of a uh, of a company to ensure that that you know who you're connecting to is actually who you're connecting to. Uh, but these are all optional. These are not required with respect to sending email out. And so if a company doesn't have, for example, the DKM uh, framework, you know, if they're not, for example, using domain identified email, you know, it's not something that they're going to be required to do. You know, so there's these special records and how email should be used to prove that it's authenticated. But again, this is all dictated by best practices. Uh, here's another example. This one is my phone robot. Put in a phone number, you put in the phone number you'd like it to appear as, you call and it'll call somebody and you can make it look like it says the IRS or whomever you would like it to be. You know, the takeaway from here is just don't trust services because those services absolutely can be attacked and can absolutely uh, be breached. Let's talk about a software company that got breached that's probably near and dear to many of our hearts, which is Intuit. Okay, so Intuit, the software company behind such massive applications such as QuickBooks, TurboTax, and more, uh, had a security incident that occurred in 2019. 
Now, I'm going to preface this by saying they did not experience a data breach. Okay. However, what did happen was that they allowed users to make very bad security decisions. And that's a reality that I see far too often is that in an effort to be able to better serve the customer, these companies will make bad decisions as it relates to their security design and best practices. You should know there is a direct correlation in a in something being secure and something being convenient something that is secure is very rarely also convenient and vice versa so the more secure something is the less convenient the more convenient the less secure ideally you try to find a balance between those but that's just not always possible as such a lot of companies to be able to serve their customers better and to provide better customer satisfaction sometimes let their companies and let their employees and let their customers maybe not go through the most rigorous security protocols. So this is what we call a credential stuffing attack. Um, and a credential stuffing attack is when somebody tries to log in as somebody else using a whole bunch of stolen data. Let me break it down for you. So hackers purchased online databases of personal information, including the email address and passwords of affected users. So that happened. Okay. Next thing here, many users use the same password on multiple sites for years on end. And hackers know that the username and passwords that they've stolen from these breach might work on other websites, you know? So this is where the, the bad practices come in, you know, in the sense of not requiring good, long and strong passwords, not checking to see if the password the user is using has been exposed in a data breach previously. Well, these companies, you know, will let people, you know, put themselves into a potentially precarious situation. And on the user side of this, if you're using the same password for years on end, okay, first, that's bad. Don't do that. That's a really bad thing to do. But the other component of this is going to be is if you use the same username and password on multiple sites. That's also not a good thing to do. Passwords are single use. If you use a password on Delta Airlines, you use a separate password on American Airlines. You know, you never, ever reuse passwords for any reason. Okay. So in this particular instance, hackers got databases of this information and then hackers uh then tried other websites. And if you happen to be using the same username and password, they got in. Now the hackers used a automated tool to be able to try these compromised accounts and they tried them all over the place. TurboTax being one of the affected organizations. And if the credentials were accepted, the hackers could then go into that account and TurboTax thought they were Steve Yas or Nancy so-and-so, you know, and they thought that they were you because computers don't actually know. I mean, they just compare. This is how login works. You put in a username, you put in a password, and it compares the password with the previously set password. And if it's the same thing, it just lets you in. You know, so if they were able to get in, they could do anything, including downloading prior tax returns, changing the email. That's usually one of the first things that occur. You know, if you change the email, then the person's not going to get notified saying, hey, you know, your email address changed or somebody filed a tax return. And they could even file the current year tax return, which is what a lot of these people did getting fraudulent uh, refunds as a component of it. So. On Intuit's side here, it's important to note they did not have a data breach. However, they're definitely guilty of 
poor design. I mean, not requiring, for example, two-factor authentication, first and foremost, not checking to see if the user's password that they're putting in had been exposed in a data breach previously. More on that here in a minute. Uh, not notifying the user that, hey, the email address on account changed. Are you sure you wanted to do that? Uh, is also, or verifying that the new email address on account changed um, and making the user verify that as also being a, a bad practice. So it's just all around. I mean, I, I would say that with Intuit here, you know, they were probably just trying to uh, placate people and, and, you know, unfortunately they put themselves into a very precarious situation. So here's a graphic representative of, of how this type of attack occurs. Okay. So I'm the bad guy. I want to go and, and go commit some fraud. So what I will do is I will go out to the dark web and the dark web is the you know, the neighborhood on the internet where all the bad stuff happens. It's the shady part of town on the other side of the tracks that you just generally don't want to go. And I, with Bitcoin and you with stolen data, I will go to your store on the dark web and I will purchase stolen data. I give you Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever it ends up being. You give me a Excel spreadsheet or a database of stolen information. And so it might be usernames and passwords, you know, Joe Mama, one, two, three, four, five, six, or Ralph and a simple password or admin at the bank, so on and so forth. But I will get these and then I will then turn around and go to plenty of other websites to see if it works. So I'll go, for example, to healthcare providers. I'll go to the credit bureaus. I'll go to e-commerce sites, government agencies and more. And if those passwords are accepted, guess what? I'm able to get in. So again, remember, there's that direct correlation in a password's strength and complexity. The stronger a password is, the more complex and longer it might be. And there's always that relationship between uh, security and convenience. Something that is more secure is going to be less convenient and vice versa. Now, a question folks usually have with this is, Steve, how am I supposed to possibly know that if my... Uh, my password is uh, stolen. How am I supposed to possibly know that? Well, the answer is probably not. You know, unfortunately, I think 99% of data breaches go unreported. Thank you so much for attending our presentation and podcast for today. As a reminder, you can check out cpetoday.com for all your continuing education needs. We have courses on every topic you can think of from accounting to audit to ethics and regulation and more. Everything you need to know to stay relevant, current, and up-to-date with the profession. Again, check out cpetoday.com. If you're a new watcher or listener to the CPE Today podcast, again, we offer you a free course and a free credit for you to try our services. Pick the podcast of your choosing and use coupon code ONEFREEPODCAST at checkout to make that purchase free. If you enjoyed our presentation, please consider connecting with us on social media and let us know what you think. You can find us just about everywhere at CPE Today, uh, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and more. And please consider subscribing to us wherever you happen to receive your content. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and others. We'd love for you to leave a review and let us know what you think. It helps new listeners and watchers find our course and content. Thank you so much for your time and attention. Thank you for being in the office, and we look forward to seeing you back here soon. Take care.